Welcome to another inspirational message from Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor of Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We're so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. Have you uh, got your word? We're going to be going to the book of Luke, okay? We're going to be in just a moment going to be going to the book of Luke in chapter 1. We're talking today about the Christmas story. You know, there is no other time of the year quite as exciting as Christmas. I mean, Christmas is the most joy-filled, exciting, the whole world. Doesn't it seem to be, you know, something that is really just, uh, you know, uplifting and encouraging and exciting? I know it is to me. And, you know, uh, God sending his son to be born of a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. And, you know, uh, it's, it's just filled with such hope and such joy. This morning, we're going to share the Christmas story together, and we're going to read a few verses, I said, as I said, from the book of Luke. And uh, while we are getting ready, and while you are getting ready to follow along, let me catch us up on a little bit of background. It was most likely about the year 6 B.C., in the summertime, early summertime, when the book of Luke opens up. And 6 B.C., why 6 B.C.? And what in the world does B.C. mean? Of course, B.C. means before Christ, right? But we often imagine that that has been around forever. But the delineation of B.C. and A.D., are relatively recent on the world stage. I find that to be interesting. Before Christ, or as many are trying to change it to today, CE, you know, and BCE, before the Common Era, and, you know, after the Common Era. But BC and AD. Well, uh, why, where, and when were these designations? Why, where did they begin? Who decided that they were accurate representations? Well, counting years has always been a necessity. And trying to get everybody on the same page so that everybody would know when something was going to happen was, was a world hope. It was a desire. And so early on, I say early on, it was the fourth century actually, motivated by the desire for everyone to uh, celebrate Easter at the same time, we began to look on a way, uh, we, someone began to look at a way that we could calculate and have a common calculation on what the years would be and when during the year these things would happen. And so, you know, uh, uh, along about, oh, uh, 237 or so, some people tried to put something together. But then in the year 525, there was a man named, he was a monk, Dionysius. In 525, he thought, we need to really bring some common ground to the Western world on how to calculate dates. And so all of his calculations and all of his research, Dionysius decided that, that, that he would start to publish this calendar on, based upon time since the birth of Christ. And in the year 532, 
His first date on the calendar in 532 was Easter. And he called it the year of our Lord, 532. Anno Domini, 532. The year of our Lord, A.D. 532. Isn't that interesting? But still, there was no real concept of the years B.C. In the 9th century, it became more popular to calculate time in the year of our Lord. The 9th century, can you imagine? But that was not enough. It wasn't until the 1500s that the B.C. and A.D. elements came together to formulate the comfortability that we now have in measuring and discussing and cataloging time, calculating time before Christ and after Christ. In fact, it wasn't until 1988 until the International Society of Date Calculation finally made it official. In 1988, can you imagine? I find that interesting. Uh, it, uh, I quote from an article, By the 15th century, all of Western Europe had adopted the BCAD system. The system inclusion was implicit in the 16th century introduction of the Gregorian calendar. 16th century. That's the 1700s. Isn't that amazing? That neither Paul nor any of the Roman Empire uh, uh, emperors or anyone else, anyone else in most of history never imagined that we would be calculating B.C. and A.D. before Christ and Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. And so in 1988, the International Organization for Standardization released ISO 8601, which describes an internationally accepted way to represent dates and times, B.C. and A.D. Interesting. Wow. Uh, due to our more recent ability to calculate time and also the fact that we have a greater access to historical information than did Dionysius back in the year 525 to 532 whenever he decided where the line was and what day Jesus was born and what time of the year Jesus was born and what year it was, we have more accurate ways to look back today. And that's one of the reasons why we are off a few years. One of the strongest beliefs as we calculate time according to historical data is that Jesus was most likely born in the year 4 B.C. I know that can serve kind of a mental glitch for some of you, but, you know, why not come to church and learn at least one thing, right? So, it was about the year 6 B.C., about the summertime, early summertime, whenever the angel Gabriel showed up at the temple in Jerusalem, and he appeared to a priest named Zacharias. And he said to Zacharias, Your prayers have been heard, and your wife Elizabeth is going to conceive and bring forth a son. 
Now, Zacharias was old, and his wife was old, past the childbearing years. He evidently had been praying for a number of years and had probably stopped praying about it, but God had remembered, heaven had heard, and God had a plan. And so Zacharias said, well, hold on a second. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, the angel said, I can see right now, this, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this part, I can see right now that you're not going to be any help to this, okay? <laughs> that you're going to begin to voice a little doubt. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to shut your mouth, and you won't be able to speak until this thing happens. And so he just absolutely wasn't able to speak. Well, he goes back home, and in the process of time, his wife Elizabeth you know, absolutely a miracle becomes pregnant. And she hides herself because, first of all, I'm imagining that she can't really believe this. And then as well, she's, you know, probably concerned about what others would say. And along about six months later, after she's been pregnant for about six months, the angel Gabriel makes another visit to planet Earth. A recorded visit. It may not have been his next visit, but it's the next recorded visit. And we read about it in the first chapter of Luke in verse 26. Now remember, they didn't calculate time or years as, 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 as a common calculation. Uh, so in verse 26, the Bible says, Now in the sixth month, that does not mean June. Okay, in the sixth month, neither does it mean uh, March off of the Hebrew calendar. It means six months after Elizabeth had become pregnant. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Well, most of you are very familiar with that story, how that the angel came and said, you know, blessed are you among women, highly favored are you among women. And, and, and this really uh, gave her cause to step back for a moment and consider what in the world did this mean? First of all, this, this angel, you know, a Gabriel, a man-like angel appears... Uh, in, you know, privately to her, which was not necessarily according to custom and culture. And then he gives her this strange greeting. But the greeting was, 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 was a fairly well-known greeting because you know, it had been prophesied by prophets that there would come you know, a highly favored virgin in a day that would bring forth you know, a son of God, a Messiah. And so I'm certain that as, as she was confused, a lot of things were running through her mind. And, and, and she uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, says, what? And he says, you know, you have been chosen by God to bring forth a son, his son. And he shall be called the son of God. And she says, how in the world can this happen? You know, uh, he's going to reign over, over, over the house of Judah. How in the world is this going to happen? And, and, and the angel said to her, you know, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and overshadow you. And you will conceive and bring forth the Son of God, Messiah. And then he says to her, Elizabeth, your cousin, is already six months present, pregnant, and you know it was impossible for her to get pregnant. Let me assure you, he says in verse 37, for with God nothing shall be impossible. Mary said, this can't be. 
I don't even know a man. He says, listen, with God nothing shall be impossible. Your cousin Elizabeth is already pregnant, and you know that was impossible. And so then Mary said in verse 38, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The Bible tells us in the continuing account in Luke that Mary makes haste. She hurries up. She is so intrigued. Of course, she's just had this encounter with an angel. She has just been told that she is going to be the mother of the Messiah. And she knows the scriptures out out, out of the prophets, how that a virgin would conceive and bring forth a child. And they would call him Emmanuel, God with us. And all these things are so she hurries up. She evidently needs a little confidence, needs a little confirmation. And the Bible says she makes haste, and she makes that long journey southward all the way down to where Elizabeth lives. And it ends up that when she greets Elizabeth, the Bible says Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit, and the babe, uh, John the Baptist, leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And, and, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth begins to prophesy to Mary and confirms everything that the angel has said. And, and in Mary, this, this has to be swimming in Mary's head. Well, Mary stays there with Elizabeth right up until the time of Passover, about springtime. Stays with her about three months or so. And when Elizabeth is just ready to deliver, the Bible says, Mary goes back home. And it came to pass in those days, in those days, that a decree went out by Caesar Augustus. Do you remember? That all the world should be taxed. And so Mary and Joseph... They have to go back down south, about 100 to 110 miles, walking or on donkeys. And there, as Mary is pregnant, now she's nine months pregnant. Fifteen months at least has occurred. Probably, you know, a few more months, maybe a couple more months since the angel Gabriel appeared to Elizabeth. John the Baptist is now six months old. And Mary and Joseph enter into the town of Bethlehem. And the Bible says in verse 7 of chapter 2, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. And laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There was no room for them. Why was there no room for them? Well, could be several reasons. One of the best ones I've heard recently, by the way. Okay, think about this one. If time travel is ever invented, then don't you think Bethlehem on that night is going to be pretty full with visitors? A lot of hotel rooms will be taken up immediately. (laughs) Good idea, huh? Well, I don't know. (laughs) Okay, I'm not that guy. I could be, but I'm not. I hold myself back. But (laughs) one of the reasons perhaps there was no room for them in the end is because everyone knew, family knew, that Mary had become pregnant 
out of wedlock. And in that day, that was a reason to be shunned, stoned, or disallowed into any, you know, uh, nice establishment. For whatever reason, there was no room for them in the inn. And she brought forth, forth her firstborn. We know that there were angels in that area and shepherds out in the fields. And we know there was a lot of spiritual activity going on there. And some of these shepherds who were out in the fields, they saw angels appear to them and, and, and told them that, that in, in Bethlehem, Christ is born, the Messiah is born, the Son of God is born. You know, uh, rejoice and be glad. And, 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 and suddenly a multitude of heavenly hosts appeared with, the angel, uh, with, with, with all the angels. And I don't know who that was, but I'm guessing it's the saints that have gone on. On, all the angels and the multitude of heavenly hosts and heaven was singing and praising God and rejoicing and the Bible says in verse 14 they were saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace goodwill toward men well you know the continuing Christmas story Christmas what a wonderful time of the year it covers so much ground and it covers every day of the year. The Christmas story gives us a look at perhaps, you know, uh, a, a year to a year and a half, maybe, uh, maybe a little more of time in which God was putting his final touches on this Christmas story. The Christmas story is such a wonderful message. It holds so many timeless truths. This morning I would like to share with us around this whole Christmas story, and I would encourage you to take time to read the whole story or share it with family and friends. It might be a wonderful time this year to sit down with the family that are gathered around and just read the Christmas story together. You can even, you know, on your phone, you can push a button and it'll read it to you. And what a wonderful time to remember all of these truths. Let me just share a few timeless truths with you this morning. One of the things that the Christmas story confirms is that life begins at conception. It's one of the truths. Even John the Baptist points out that they're being filled with, a, with the Holy Spirit and leaping at the voice of Mary, the one who was pregnant with the Christ child. Whenever she spoke, Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit and the baby leaped in her womb. They're being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, it was not until, you know, it, 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 it was not that God waited until the moment in that manger to send Jesus to earth. God sent Jesus at the moment of conception. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And that which you shall conceive, not that which you shall birth, but that which you shall conceive, that which you shall bring forth, shall be the Son of God. Amazing, huh? Life begins at conception. A second timeless truth that we gather from this story is that nothing is impossible with God. Whatever you may be facing in your life, let me tell you, nothing is impossible with God. Whether God is introducing to you something new or something that unimaginable, or whether you are pursuing something from Him that seems like it cannot be, it seems like it will never be, let me tell you for sure our God is able. 
Our God who is able to change bread and juice into the body and the blood of Christ, able to change water into a grave from where we are resurrected to walk in the newness of life. Our God that is able to cause me and you living never, never to experience death, but rather be born again because we accept Jesus and receive him into our life. Through a simple prayer, come into my heart, come into my life, Jesus. Save me, forgive me of my sins. Boom, a miracle happens. He who is able to join two together, where, where there were two, one exists. Our God is able to do miracles we cannot explain, miracles we cannot see, miracles we cannot imagine, for nothing shall be impossible to God. One of the wonderful things about the Christmas story is it gives me hope. As I imagine this young girl, Mary, as I imagine her just an ordinary, everyday believer in Jehovah, a child of God, unaware that God has a special plan for her life. And then God turns impossibilities into possibilities. A third truth this morning I want to share is the fact that miracles happen when we say yes to Jesus. That's what Mary said. Be it unto me according to your will, according to your word, according to your desire. Be it unto me just what you have said. Be it unto me. You know, there... She said yes, and when she said yes, the Bible says, and the angel departed from her. <laughs> you know, it was over. He had done his job. He had delivered the message, and the message had been received. Do you know how many messages today God is delivering to people? And once someone says yes to God, once you say yes to God, miracles begin. Miracles begin to unfold. Oh, it wasn't that day that she had the baby. But miracles begin to unfold. Some miracles begin to grow in our life, in our imagination, begin to grow by our faith. But faith accesses the grace of God when we receive the seed of God's word into our heart miracles begin to grow miracles begin to happen it may take some time but let me encourage you say yes to Jesus say yes to Jesus especially when when he's asking you to do something that that is going to be beneficial to someone else and it's not all about you. It seems easy to say yes to God whenever it's all about me. But here she was being asked to step outside of a comfort zone and even outside of what some others might understand. But it was all for them. It was all about others. It was going to cost her a little bit. You know, I seem uh, in history, my history, to, uh, to trust the Word of God a little bit more when it's not all about me. Hello? Trust that I'm hearing from God whenever it may cost me a little bit to help someone else, to bless someone else. Whether I'm driving down a road and I see someone with a flat tire and I'm tired and it's late and it's raining, but you know what? Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, God speaks. It's important that we realize miracles happen when we say yes to God. A fourth timeless truth today. It's a sad truth, but it is the truth. 
that the world has never made room for him. There was no room for them in the end. That shows me. And it confirms to me what I see all around me today and all throughout the world. It seems as though it's getting worse, but it's always been this way. The world has never made room for Jesus. The world is not where we're going to find Christ. We're not going to find the happiness. We're not going to find the contentment. We're not going to find the joy. We're not going to find what fulfills us by running out to the world and imagining that they somehow have, have, have cataloged the truth and, and, and we're going to get from them something that's going to fill our hearts. It won't because they've never made room for him, let alone have they stocked up on Jesus enough so that they could give the truth to you. It's sad. But the world has never made room for him. And the last truth that I'll share today is the fact that God has a determination. He has a will. He has a purpose. God declared his intent. The angels and all of the heavenly host joined together. And when God saw that his plan had worked. He declared from heaven, peace on earth, good will towards men. I'm not sure exactly or specifically what God wants for your life other than the umbrella truth that it is good. That God is a good God. That God is a God that wants the earth to be filled with peace and to be filled with goodness. That it will not be God that will send you out to terrorize someone or to make a phone call or write a letter that's going to tear people down or destroy their lives. He's not going to want you to hurt somebody. He's going to do his best to work through you to bring light and life and joy and peace, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, faith, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. These are the things that God wants for us, and He wants for everyone. Rather than us finding our hope in the world, the world finds its hope in us. Today I want to encourage you to take the Christmas story personally. Today I'm hoping that you will get one thing for yourself today. One thing for you and one thing to share with others in this coming week. This is not the time to be worried or to be afraid about the future. The world will take care of that for you. Okay? The world is going to worry and the world is going to fight. We need to be hope. We need to be joy. This is not the time to be worried or afraid. It's Christmas time. Okay? Let's be happy. Let's be joyful. Come on. You know, stir it up on the inside of you. Stir it up on the inside. Stir it up. The Bible says stir up your faith. Well, stir up your joy. Stir up your happiness. Stir up your hope. Stir it up. We have Christ. 
You know, it, it, it's important to remember that Jesus is alive, okay? Nothing is impossible with God. Miracles happen when we say yes to Jesus. The world is never going to be your answer. The world is not going to take care of you. Don't let that rob you of your joy. Don't let that rob you of your peace. God has proclaimed. It is his hope that we will be the peace and that we will be the goodwill because we are the ones carrying Christ. I pray that we all, that you individually, I pray that you are happy. You know, I can just hear someone say, I haven't been happy in so long. I'm not even sure what happiness is. Oh, I've laughed perhaps, but I'm not even sure what it would feel like to be happy. Stir up Christ in your life. The Christmas story is a wonderful story filled with hope, filled with happiness. It's Christmas time. It's the festival of lights. It's the feast of dedication. It's a wonderful time. Dedicate yourself to Christ and turn on the light. Do it on purpose. Okay. And maybe you need to stop listening to the news. It might be dimming your light. I'm not telling you to deny the truth. I'm just telling you to add Jesus to the equation. Okay? He's the hope of the world. Thanks again for joining us for another encouraging word from Pastor Ron Hammonds. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive more encouraging messages from our pastor and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.